Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. Who you are and what happens in your life, the results of the work that you do is often a reflection of the habits that you form and the systems that you create to achieve those goals that you have. There's a very famous quote out there that is actually often, I've done some research here, a lot of people think Aristotle said this, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. I love that quote, but it's often misattributed. But I want to give credit to where credit is due. It was first written in a small book called The Story of Philosophy by a man, a philosopher named Will Durant back in 1926. So anyway, now that we got that out of the way, I do want to talk about another book that just came out written by a good friend of mine, James Clear from jamesclear.com and his book, Atomic Habits. This literally just came out the other day and I'm really excited to bring James on the show today. You know, he's been blogging about habits for years and I feel is one of the top writers on the topic in the space. And his book is incredible. There are so many habit books out there, and this is the one to get. This is about proven ways, easy ways to build good habits and break bad ones. And in this episode today, we talk about a number of things, including procrastination and the easy and simple way to get over that. It's actually turning things into little two-minute rules that can really help you. We'll talk more about that in the show. The easiest way to stay motivated over time, how it's okay to actually break a habitual streak. And that's something that I often struggle with. I'll get on a great run for something, whatever it is I'm trying to do, and I'll do it for you know however many days straight. But a couple days off, and then it just kind of derails itself. And we talk about how to get back and how it's okay. The 1% better every day system, the creation of goals is actually not what's going to lead you to success. This is this was a big eye-opener for me. The fact that, okay, goal setting is not the key. Yes, it's important because it gives you direction, but if goal setting was the key, then guess what? Everybody would be successful. It's not about that. It's about something else that we talk about. And then finally, really, this is about making or breaking habits. So making good habits that can help support the goals that you have and the systems that you create to support the goals that you have. And also creating systems to break the bad habits so that you can live a better life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So before we get into it, let's just cue the music. Let's do this. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, 
He still struggles to focus draw into his Capri Suns, Pat Flynn. Hey, what's up? Pat Flynn here. I'm here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. And today we have, like I said, James Clear on the show with us. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please make sure you do that because we've got a lot of great content coming your way in the future. But today we're just going to dive right in to this interview with James Clear to help you achieve better results in your life. Let's do it. What's up, James? Welcome to the SPI podcast, man. Thanks for being here. Hey, Pat. Thanks so much for having me, man. I'm really, uh, really excited to talk. I appreciate it. You know, I've been reading your stuff for a while. I love it. And now you have this book called Atomic Habits. I want to know why it's called Atomic Habits before anything. Sure. So what does that mean? Well, there, there are multiple meanings behind the word. Uh, so first of all, I think most people get the idea of atomic, like very small, like an atom. And your habits should be small and easy to do. But there's more to it than that. An atom is a fundamental unit of a larger system. You know, atoms make molecules and molecules build up into compounds and so on. And similarly, I think we could say that our habits are sort of like the atoms of our life in the sense that they're the fundamental unit that make up what we do on a daily basis and the type of results that we get. So that's a, another meaning. And then the third thing is atomic can also mean the source of immense energy or power. Um, and so if we do it right, if we pick the right small behaviors that accumulate into a larger system uh, that are the fundamental unit of a, a greater process, then I think we can have some really incredible results from that. And that's one of the core philosophies of the book is this idea that if you can get 1% better each day, you can end up with some very remarkable results in the long run. I love that. And we've heard that before on the show. We've had like Thomas Frank on the show, who's been a big proponent of building strong habits and the 1% better every day. And I, I think it was Aristotle or somebody who said, you know, uh, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence mm-hmm. then is not an act, but a habit. And so this is why I, I, I love that this book is coming from you because you have become known as the person who has helped instill a number of habits in many people's lives to help make change for the better. But I wanted to ask you just straight up, like, okay, a habit, like w- why another habit, habit book? I mean, there's so many out there. Why, why is this one different? And then we'll kind of get into the juicy stuff. Sure. So there are quite a few habit books out there. Uh, I think that there were two things missing uh, that helped propel me to write this book. So the first thing that was missing is that there are quite a few books that do a good job of explaining how habits work from a high level. Uh, Power of Habit, for example, I think Duhigg wrote a, a really good book with that. Um, but there aren't that many books that explain how to implement them in daily life. And in fact, this is if you look at the reviews on Amazon, like the two or three stars for uh, for Power of Habit, there aren't that many. But uh, one of the common critiques is that people will say, like, he did a great job of explaining how they work. I wish I just knew like what to do next or how to implement it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the goals behind Atomic Habits is to take uh, the science of how habits work and then distill it into a variety of practical action steps. And this is, you know, in the book, I call it the four laws of behavior change, but there's sort of these four levers that you can pull to make building good habits easier and uh, making falling into bad habits harder. So that was the first piece was let's make it practical and actionable. Mm -hmm. And then the second part is that a lot of the conversation about habits, a lot of the science of habits uh, focuses on behavioral psychology and what is uh, kind of evolved out of operant conditioning and BF Skinner's work at Stanford in the 1930s and 40s and so on. And uh, in fact, Skinner originally proposed this uh, model that he called stimulus response reward, which is uh, similar to what Duhigg laid out in his book where he called a Q routine reward. 
And uh, that's great. It's an effective model. Uh, it is true that we see a cue and then that if we get the right reward uh, or the right punishment, then we'll fall into a habit or avoid it. But over the last uh, few decades, cognitive scientists have seen a big change in the way that emotions and feelings and moods impact our behavior. And so uh, there isn't or there wasn't, I think, until uh, I wrote Atomic Habits, a good model that was offered that incorporated both of those, that incor- incorporated both the, the influence of external factors like uh, a cue and a reward mm-hmm. uh, and the influence of internal factors like how you feel and your emotions and the predictions that you make. And uh, this is something that I lay out in the the second stage of habits. In the book, I break habits into four stages. And the second stage is, is largely about our thoughts and feelings and emotions and how those shape our habits. So those were two areas that I felt like I could fill uh, with the book. And uh, my hope is that I was able to do it well. How did you become interested in habits and become an expert on this stuff? Like what what really is the driver for you? Well, I mean, I think, Pat, I think this resonates with you a little bit with your work uh, as well. But like, I don't really like to call myself an expert or view myself that way. Like I view my readers and I as peers. And so we're, we're all experimenting and trying things, uh, trying to build better habits and improve the work that we do and how we show up each day. And uh, my job is just to share the lessons that I learn along the way. And so I'm hopeful that I'm not like, you know, I do worry a little bit that bloggers could be like a, a new age version of an academic in like the ivory tower where they're mm-hmm. just kind of sitting up there and uh, writing about ideas but their job is just to write about ideas all day and they're not actually putting them to use. And so I want to resist that as much as I, I can. I want to be like, uh, you know, there's that famous Roosevelt quote about being the man in the arena and kind of getting like dirty and dusted up and beaten around a little bit because you're out in the real world trying to do things. And so uh, for me, I try to have a balance of like 50, 50 there. Some of that is work that I do with companies and like helping them implement habits. But a lot of it is just my personal life, whether it's training in the gym and trying out different habit strategies there or uh, sticking to a writing habit or the photography work that I do. Like these are just different ways for me to test the ideas that I write about. So I guess one way that I came into it was through experimenting and trying it out. And then the second side is I do have a science background. So I studied mostly chemistry and physics in undergrad uh, and have always been interested in the sciences. And then eventually, once I launched my own business, I spent the last five to eight years uh, reading and researching habits and writing about them each week. And you've been writing very consistently. And we can see on our end just the fact that you practice what you preach, which is great. So if you haven't checked out jamesclear.com, definitely check that out. And obviously, we'll have all the links in the show notes and whatnot for you at the end of the show here. But I want to get into what these laws are and sort of the structure of your book. And let's talk about some of these things that people who are listening right now can take away with them. Um, even in some of the chapters, like I know, for instance, the chapter on procrastination, like a lot of what you mm-hmm. mentioned in the book was huge for me in terms of like, let's, let's, let's make it a two minute habit instead of a giant one. And I'd love to talk about that eventually when we get to that law, but you know, sure. let's, let's start with law number one, like make it obvious, like, okay, what, what, what should we make obvious? What are some things we can do to just get started with? Okay. Like we know we need to do certain things like go to the gym or wake up earlier and practice our miracle morning or begin writing. Like, but what do you mean by make it obvious? Okay. So first of all, let's just understand like where these laws are coming from or why did I uh, come up with this framework in the first place? Sure. And one of the the core ideas behind the book is that we do not rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And what I mean by that is it's very easy to come up with ambition and have a dream and mm-hmm. want to, to achieve more for yourself. Uh, and that's great. But it's, in fact, the process of the system that largely determines whether you fall through with that or not. 
And so one of my goals in writing this book, or one of the uh, things I wanted to achieve, was to come up with a system that people could follow for achieving or building the habits that they wanted. And so these four laws are sort of, uh, like I said earlier, you can sort of view them as like levers. And so you don't always need to use all four, but for a given circumstance, there might be two or three levers that you can pull to make that habit easier. And so uh, the four laws, as you said, the first one is to make it obvious. And this is associated with the cue or something that gets your attention when you're trying to build a new habit. And so one way to make it obvious is by practicing what I call environment design. And uh, one of the stories or examples that I give in the book is about this little community in Amsterdam. This is in the 1970s. There was a a neighborhood and there was like an energy crisis. And uh, researchers noticed that a few of the houses in the neighborhood were spending much less energy, uh, paying much less energy bills than their neighbors, even though they were getting energy at the same rate, the same electrical cost. And uh, the houses were roughly the same size. And it turns out these houses had one thing that was different. And the key thing was the houses that had a lower energy usage had the electrical meter upstairs in the main hallway, whereas most of the homes had them downstairs in the basement. And the point here is that when your behavior is obvious to you, when you're passing that cue all day long and you see how much electricity you're burning or how much you're using, it's like a reminder, oh, I should turn the um, light off or I should, you know, like be more judicious with my use of energy throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is true for pretty much any habit. The more obvious you can make it, the more likely you are to uh, fall into it. So, for example, if you want it to be easier to practice guitar, well, then keep your guitar in the middle of your living room um, rather than tucked away in the side of a closet. I had this happen with two different habits that I tried to build personally. Uh, The first one was flossing. For a long time, I would brush my teeth every uh, morning and night, but I wouldn't remember to floss. And so eventually I kind of like broke the behavior down and said, what am I I failing to do here? Where am I not seeing the gaps? And uh, one of the issues was that the floss was always tucked away in a drawer in the bathroom, so I wouldn't see it. So I went and bought a bowl and put it right next to the toothbrush. And then I bought some of those pre-made flossers and put them in the bowl. And so now it was just obvious. I would see it every time I put the the, the toothbrush down. Mm-hmm. And so now I, I floss really without having to do much more than that. Um, the second one was <laughs> we would, my wife and I would go to the store and we would buy fruit. We'd buy like apples or bananas or whatever. And then we would put them in the fridge in the bottom of the crisper and I wouldn't see them. And then they'd sit there for like two weeks and they would go bad. And then eventually I'd stumble across them and get annoyed and have to like throw them out and, you know, upset that I'm wasting food and wasting money. And so, uh, again, I bought it like a larger display bowl and placed in the center of the counter. And then when we bought fruit, we put it there. Well, now it's gone in like three days. Uh, And so most of that is just about making it obvious. How might one do that with something that's more internal, like the need to go to the gym every day? It's not... Would that actually be something like a mirror that you that you walk by every day to remind you about kind of well, I'm not mm. really looking the way I want? Yeah, well, I mean, you could do it that way. Uh, another thing about environment design, and this is something I talk about later in the book as well, is that you can prime environments to make a future action easier. And the great thing about that strategy is it kind of serves both purposes. It both makes a habit easy and it makes it more obvious. So, for example... If you packed your workout clothes beforehand uh, the night before and set them out by the door, it's now both easier to get into the workout because you don't have to get stuff ready uh, and more obvious. You're reminding yourself to do it. Um, But most of it comes down to creating a cue that you're going to run across in your daily routine. So this can also be one reason why it's more effective to choose a gym, for example, that is on the way to work 
rather than one that's like even two blocks out of the way. Mm-hmm. Because once it's two blocks out of the way, now you're going out of your way to get the habit in. Whereas uh, previously, it's just um, it's more it's uh, frictionless. So frictionless habits are often more obvious habits as well. And that's one of the great things about these four laws is they uh, they often interplay with each other and like build upon each other. Do you speak on how often we have to do something over and over again or daily before it actually just becomes a part of who we are? Or is that even true? Yeah, uh, good question. So a common way that this question is phrased is like, how long does it take to build a new habit? You know, does it take 21 days, right. or 30 days or 66 days or something like that? And uh, there was one study done that showed that on average, it was about 66 days, uh, but it varied widely based on the habit. And uh, the range was even anywhere from like three weeks to eight months uh, for a a more difficult habit. But I think actually that question, there's kind of like an implicit assumption behind it that's actually more important to address, which is when you ask, like, is it going to take, you know, 30 days or 66 days or however long to build a habit? The assumption is, oh, how long do I need to work to cross this finish line? And then I won't have to do it anymore. Um, But the real answer is, the honest answer is, it takes forever. Because once you stop doing it, it's no longer a habit. So um, maybe we could rephrase it and say, uh, how long does it take for a habit to be established? You know, how long does it take for it to become easier to do or more automatic? And for that, uh, there are these things called automaticity curves uh, or learning curves in, uh, in some of the literature that... Researchers will map, like, how long does it take you to do it before you can pretty much do it on autopilot? And for that, it actually is less about the time and more about the repetitions. And this is another core piece of my philosophy is that, especially in the beginning, it's more about getting your reps in than worrying about the result or the outcome. Because it's only by practicing it that it'll become, you'll become more fluent in it and uh, the behavior will become more automatic. So as a general rule of thumb, I'll go ahead and say two or three months. Uh, but you need to, with the caveat of you understand this is actually a lifestyle to live and not a finish line to cross. There you go. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I was taught. It's it's when it just becomes a part of you and who you, what you do. It's like, no, I'm not on a paleo diet. I just, this is how I live. I choose not to eat grains and, and wheat and stuff. Um, it's so- a really empowering place to be. It's something that I call identity-based habits. Mm-hmm. I talk about this more in chapter two, but it's like... Um, it's one thing to say, I'm the type of person who wants this. It's something very different to say, I'm the type of person who is this. And once you've internalized uh, a thought or a, uh, a habit and it's part of your identity, it becomes much easier to stick with. In fact, you're not even really pursuing behavior change anymore because you're just being the type of person that you already believe that you are. And uh, that type of self-talk, like what you just said, where people say, you know, one person might say, oh, I'm trying to stick to this paleo diet versus another person saying like, oh, I just eat paleo. Uh, It's a very small change in language, but the second one signals that it's part of your identity and just part of what you do normally. And the other one signals that it's a sacrifice and something you're like trying to force yourself to do. That's awesome. What's a habit that you are trying to do right now that is sort of new for you, if, if anything? Yeah. Uh, so I don't have that many new ones that I'm working on, but one that I just had perpetually not been able to get, uh, get nailed is, uh, it's really, I was going to say it's waking up early, but that actually isn't the issue. Waking up early is fine. I have this like cardinal rule where I don't cheat myself on sleep. The real issue is on the back end. It's the power down ritual and making sure that I go to bed at like say 10 PM instead of midnight. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, 
especially right now with uh, just with all the work around the book and everything. Uh, it's really exciting. It's great. And I, I like what I'm working on, but that uh, causes me to, I have trouble shutting off at the end of the night because I always feel like there's something more to do. And uh, then, you know, if I go to bed at midnight and my cardinal rule is I don't cheat myself on sleep, then I'm not getting up till eight. So that's just how it goes. So how might you use the second law, which is make it attractive to combat that? Yeah, well, some of this, so make it attractive uh, is an interesting one because it's mostly about, this is early in the conversation I talked about how most models of human behavior uh, or many of the previous ones have not accounted for how our thoughts and emotions uh, influence our, our actions. Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example of, of how the first law and the second law tie together and then I'll answer your question. Um so let's say that you walk into a kitchen and you see a plate of cookies on the counter. Now, under the standard model, you would say, all right, cue, you see the cookies. And then the routine would be you pick a cookie up and eat it. But in fact, you can imagine a wide range of responses to that situation. You could walk in and see the cookie. And then you, uh, in my model, there's the second stage, which is I'll call craving. And the craving is really the prediction or the expectation that your mind makes. So you have, you're doing this all day long, that life feels reactive, but it's actually quite predictive, you know, so take something even super minor, like taking another step on the sidewalk. As you put your foot out, you have an expectation in your mind that your foot is going to touch the pavement. And if you, if that doesn't happen, if for example, you step into a pothole, then all of a sudden you're very surprised by it. And you weren't thinking about the fact that you're predicting what it's going to feel like for your foot to hit the pavement. But every little action throughout life is preceded by this prediction of what is going to come next. Mm-hmm. So, so you walk into the kitchen and you see the plate of cookies and you could predict, okay, these are going to be really tasty. I should take a bite of one. And then you go and eat the cookie. And then the reward is it does taste good. It fulfills your craving and so on. But you could just as easily imagine that uh, you just got finished eating dinner in the other room and you just ate five cookies and you walk into the kitchen and you see another plate. And now you think, oh, man, I'm full. Like, I don't want to eat another cookie now. Uh, So your prediction, the expectation of what's going to come next has changed. And because your expectation changes, your response changes. So the second stage, make it attractive, is mostly about figuring out ways for you to predict that something good is going to happen, that this is going to be beneficial for you to do. So to answer your question about my power down routine, what could I do to, uh, to make that more attractive? One of this, uh, one of the things I can do, it comes down to reframing your mindset. So rather than uh, thinking about what I want to get done right now, like it seems more attractive to do the work because I'm like, oh man, I have all these tasks on my uh, on my list that I need to cross off. Instead, I can invert that a little bit and focus on what I can do with better energy in the morning, or reminding myself that uh, that I usually do my best writing in the morning, which is true. Uh, and by focusing on what would be make it more attractive to go to bed right now. And uh, so that's one way of reframing that. There are other things that influence attractiveness too. For example, timing is a big one. When you're asking yourself to do a habit can make a big difference on whether it seems attractive or not. Cool. Well, that's super helpful. And I ask that a little bit selfishly because that's one of my problems too. I'm very good at waking up at a certain time and doing the things that how Elrod taught me to do in the morning through Miracle Morning and whatnot, which has been super helpful. Nice. But the power down technique at night is it's really hard. And, you know, Friends is on at night. And I'm just like, this is such a good episode. I have to stay up and watch this. And, <laughs> so can I, let me add something else to this. So okay. uh, for each of the four laws, um, you can invert them. So I have an inversion of each law. So uh, the the law itself, make it obvious, make it attractive. These are good ways to stick with a, a good habit. 
The inversion is a way to avoid a bad habit. And you can, of course, employ the same thing for this situation. You could say, all right, well, the good habit I want is to go sleep, go to sleep at 10 p.m. But uh, you could also focus on the other side of the equation, which is, well, the bad habit is I keep watching episodes of Friends. And so how can you make that unattractive? Is that or, a bad habit, though? Like, really? Is it really? A, right? No, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, but the, you could focus on the other, the inversion of those laws. So for example, uh, near Ayal, who wrote the book hooked also another kind of habits expert. Um, he did this really cool thing where he bought an outlet timer and an outlet timer is just, it's like a $10 device on Amazon. You can, you plug it into, it's kind of like an adapter. It goes into the wall and then it goes between the, the outlet on the wall and the device that you're using. And then you can set the timer to kill the power from that outlet at a particular time. So Nier set it up with his internet router, and then the, the wireless internet goes off at 10 p.m. every night. And so when the internet is killed and goes off, everybody knows, like, all right, Netflix stopped working, internet's off, like, it's time to go to bed. And uh, that's one way to increase the friction or to make it difficult, so to speak. So that's the, the third law is make it easy. And so you could invert that and make it difficult to watch Friends, for example, or to continue answering email and so on. And by doing that, now it automatically makes sleep a more attractive option because there's less friction associated with going to bed yeah. and more friction associated with doing the thing that you don't want to do. That's that's really good. I don't know if I could pitch that to my wife, but <laughs> yeah. I, might, I might try. But I mean, okay, so a person knows to, let's just use Nier's example. Nier's a great, uh, great author. I read his book and featured it in my book club too, uh, just like yours. But um, I could imagine like having these battles with myself as far as like okay like i know this is the right thing to do but like this is cutting off a huge pleasure point in my life like is it really just the story we tell ourselves and you know really making it more attractive to do that thing that's gonna help us later versus i mean now i'm thinking of like okay well the the immediate reward versus the the delayed reward and how do how we weigh those against each other yeah this is a huge thing so this is a really good question um in the book, I lay out what I call the cardinal rule of behavior change. And the cardinal rule of behavior change is behaviors that are immediately rewarded get repeated. Behaviors that are immediately punished get avoided. And it's really about the immediacy there. So you can think about pretty much any habit or any behavior really produces multiple outcomes across time. So for example, if you eat a donut right now, the immediate outcome is favorable. It tastes great. It's sugary. It's enjoyable. The ultimate outcome that you gain weight in two weeks or two months or whatever uh, is unfavorable. And that's often the case with many bad habits. The immediate outcome is enjoyable or satisfying in some way. The ultimate outcome doesn't serve us as Mm -hmm. well. With good habits, it's the reverse. You know, if you want to go to bed now, then maybe there's a little bit of a sacrifice there because you don't get to watch an episode that you want or you don't get another uh, task on your list. Or, for example, uh, going to the gym. Going to the gym isn't, in a lot of ways, it's not really that fun in the moment. It requires sacrifice and effort and you have to sweat. So the immediate outcome is unenjoyable. And the ultimate outcome that you're fit in two weeks or two months or two years is favorable. So, so much of the battle of building good habits and breaking bad ones is about finding a way to pull the consequences, the future consequences of your bad habits into the immediate moment to feel that pain a little bit right then and to pull the benefits of your good habits into the immediate moment. And I think, and this is just a little theory of mine that people who are appear to be very good at delaying gratification on the surface. So for example, 
people who go to the gym and work out, everybody's like, Oh, they're so good at, you know, they'll work for months on end to, to have a, you know, be in good shape and like have the body they want. But part of me wonders if actually they're just really good at finding alternative ways of being satisfied in the moment. So for example, you go to the gym because it means you get to see some friends there and you enjoy that. Or, uh, you're casting a vote for your desired identity. Like it feels, it feels good to be the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. Um, or you enjoy recording your workout. Right. right. Like I mean, I would imagine a, a lot of people enjoy going to the gym now because they can then take a selfie of themselves and share with their followers. And I'm not even kidding. Like that, that gives yeah. people satisfaction to like, right. Exactly. And like, you can criticize that behavior if you, you're not the selfie type of person or social media type of person, but it is true that they get some immediate gratification from that. They get like, they get likes, they get praise, they get a little bit of approval from their social network. And we're constantly craving that, uh, the, this not necessarily directly from the approval from the social networks, but immediate satisfaction. Mm-hmm. We are craving some level of pleasure And in that sense, your emotions provide a signal of what behaviors you should repeat in the future because, hey, this felt good, and what things you should avoid in the future because, oh, that doesn't feel that great. And uh, so you need to find ways to feel successful or to feel satisfied in the moment as you're doing a habit. And that's the type of thing that uh, that's going to get you to return and come back. Love it, man. This this I love this this discussion. Thank you. Let let's move on to the third law, which is make it easy. And this is uh, the section where you talk about procrastination a bit. So I'd love to kind of hover this conversation around that because I'm a seasoned and professional procrastinator, um, <laughs> and and many of the listeners are as well, uh, probably admittedly. And I know, and we all know that that's not good. We have things to do, yet we choose to delay doing them. So how would one stop doing that? Okay, so let me tell a little story to set this one up. Um, so I, the section that I, where I talk about procrastination, I kick this off with the story of Twyla Tharp, who is a great dance choreographer. Um, she won a MacArthur Genius Grant, just very famous uh, choreographer and dancer. And uh, she's also a big proponent of habits. And she writes in her book, actually, she has a book called The Creative Habit, I think. And uh, she tells this story about her morning routine. And basically, the, the punchline is she goes to the gym for two hours every morning. But the routine or the habit for her is not going to the gym. The habit is that she puts on her leg warmers and her jacket. She walks out to the sidewalk and she hails a cab. And it's the hailing of the cab and telling them to go to the gym that that's the ritual she focuses on. And uh, if you look at the research, depending on what study you look at, it'll say that habits account for 40 to 50 percent of our behaviors on any given day. So these are like automatic actions, tying your shoes and stuff like that, brushing your teeth. Um, but in fact, the influence of our habits is even greater, you know, 50% is already a good chunk, but so often the things that you do on autopilot determine the behaviors that you take afterward. So for example, you know, you, if you stand in line, we can't stand in line for more than 10 seconds without pulling our phone out. And that action is automatic and habitual. But what you do for the next 10 minutes, whether it's playing a video game or answering emails or browsing a website, All of that might be a conscious choice. You might think carefully about what to respond to this particular email, but you're already within the boundary of the phone. And so the the automatic habit of pulling your phone out, it set the context, like set the trajectory for what was going to happen for the next 10 minutes. And so in that way, I think our habits are even more powerful than just that 50% because they're kind of like the entrance ramp to a highway. You, You start down this road without thinking, and then all of a sudden you're speeding 60 miles an hour in a different direction. And uh, so the point here, and when dealing with procrastination, is that 
This doesn't just have to work against us. It can also work for us. Similar to Twyla Tharp's strategy of let me just go outside and hail the cab. I mean, that's an action that only takes a few minutes, but then it sets her on this path of going to the gym. And then the next two hours are kind of figured out. Um, I have a similar strategy. My wife gets home about 5.15 each night. And what happens in the next like five minutes kind of determines the scope of the evening. So either we'll change into our workout clothes. And if we do that, then pretty much everything else is decided. We're going to get in the car. We're going to go to the gym. We'll work out and so on. The next hour and a half, it's already set. But if we don't change into our workout clothes, then we'll, you know, sit on the couch and watch reruns of the office and order Indian food. And like, that's a great night too, but it was mostly shaped by those first five minutes. And so when dealing with procrastination or really honestly, when dealing with building any habit, my suggestion is to follow what I call the two minute rule. And the two minute rule basically takes this core idea and puts it to use for you. Pretty much any habit, many habits that we want to build are going to be bigger than just two minutes, but any habit can be started in just two minutes. And so you want to downscale the behavior to just the first two minutes of it and focus on mastering that and then just let momentum kind of automatically carry you through. So for example, if you want to read one book every week, well, now let's downscale it so that the habit that you're trying to build is read one page. Or if you want to do 30 minutes of yoga, the habit is take out your yoga mat. Um, You're focused only on initiating the behavior. You're optimizing for the starting line rather than the finish line. I love that. Can I, can I offer some other examples that you can then comment on? Okay, here's the way that to two minute ties that one. Yeah, I'd love to. Go ahead. Two minute to ties. Sorry, I don't know how to phrase it. Um, so if I wanted to, to write every day, what's my two minute habit? So the first two minutes could be write one sentence. I actually have a friend who's a poet and his goal, uh, his habit is every day he tries to write one sentence. Now, sometimes I'll write a whole chapter uh, or write an entirely new poem, but uh, but just one sentence each day. Uh, play the guitar. Play one chord progression. Uh, it could be even less than that. You could just say, take the guitar out and sit down on the chair. Uh, learn a new language. Practice 10 words of vocabulary. Uh, open up my book and sit down and take out my notes. Like th- That could be true for pretty much any, um, any subject. The, the habit could be sit down and take out my notes. Love that. Well, and, and then one final one. What about being more present? Um, you know, I think a lot of us, need to break that habit of, you know, thinking about the future too much so that we almost forget kind of where we're at. And I, I, I say this in, in, in context of like, you know, we're with our kids, but we're really thinking about that next email or that next project. Mm-hmm. Like how do we stay focused in the moment? Yeah. Well, that one you could approach from different angles because you could either try to eliminate the thing that distracts you, or you could try to get better at your ability to resist. Like for example, building a meditation habit. Sure. But I'll tell you one way that I do it, which is I try to leave my phone in another room uh, until lunch each day. So, and I love choices like this. This is actually something else I I write about in the book a little bit, which are one-time actions that can deliver repeated results or recurring results over time. So the one-time action of leaving my phone in a different room and then walking to the office, uh, that is just a choice that I have to make once. It's less than two minutes. It's very simple and quick, but I end up benefiting for hours afterward because of doing that one thing. So uh, it's almost like I locked in my future behavior with that one choice. Um, so that's a, an example for uh, for being more present. That's really cool, man. I think this just like the theme here is kind of just like, okay, Knowing what you want, number one, but then like taking a few small actions to set everything up, set up your environment, frame yourself the right way so that everything kind of just automatically takes care of itself. Is that right? 
As best as you can, whatever you can automate, you should. Uh, and those one-time actions, automation, a lot of the time automation is viewed at as like technology solutions, which is great. Uh, there are many software solutions that can help, but it doesn't have to be uh, software. So for example, say you want to build a better sleep habit. You could research what kind of mattress works best for you. Like go to the, go to the store and try a bunch out and then buy a better mattress. That's a one-time choice. You could buy blackout curtains so that uh, your room is dark every night. That's a one-time choice. Mm -hmm. You could, if you live in a noisy environment, buy uh, earplugs or headphones of some sort to wear. Um, if you feel too hot, you could buy, uh, it's called a chili pad. And there are some other alternatives too, but it's kind of like a, it's like a pad that has water underneath it or inside it. And you put it under your mattress uh, pad or under your sheets and uh, it'll circulate water that kind of cools you a little bit. It reduces the temperature of the bed. Um, you could uh, buy an eye mask so that it's easier for you to sleep on planes or in hotels or whatever. And my point here is that each of those purchases are just one-time choices, but you end up benefiting from them over and over again. So they sort of, in a way, automate the habit of making of getting better sleep. And uh, there are many choices that you can make like that, sort of an investment in your future habits. Mm -hmm. I love that. And like with the eye mask one, so that you can sleep better on an airport or in an airplane, um, hopefully not the airport so you miss your flight, but like having it actually in your backpack already so that it's already there and you don't have to think about it anymore, right? Like just we're kind of combining all the things here, right? Yeah, it's crazy how much this all works together. But like I have, uh, if I went uh, to upstairs to my um, uh, room right now and looked at the bag that I have packed, I, I'm not going anywhere right now. I don't have a trip coming up this week, but everything except from, for the clothes is already packed in the bag. So uh, eye mask, for example, earplugs, like all that stuff I just mentioned. Um, the environment is primed, to use a phrase from earlier in this mm -hmm. conversation, uh, for what I need to do whenever I leave. So uh, yeah, I mean, they, they all those strategies work together. And they, they again, this is one of the core ideas of the book is that we need a system for improvement, a collection of habits all oriented towards one goal. So often people, we want to change or we want to have some kind of improvement. And so then we make one change uh, and it's like, it's like it gets washed away. We do it for a few weeks and then it's like, well, nothing really changed, nothing really improved. And the way that I would equate it is it's kind of like adding a grain of sand to one side of the scale. And so you're not going to say, okay, just a single 1% change is going to change my life but it's a thousand of them that are all oriented towards the same ultimate outcome. That's how you get a really amazing result and how habits compound over time is by building on each other like that. Love it. Now, if you are listening to this episode right now and you want to check out James's book, we're, we're still going to talk about the, the fourth and final law. So don't, don't worry, but I just want to plug again, his book, atomic habits. You can find it on Amazon. The show notes links uh, will be available. Um, you can find the show notes actually at uh, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 340. His book just came out. Literally, if you listen to this on the day this episode comes out, it came out yesterday. So I'm excited to see it at the top of the charts, uh, James. And just congrats on all the success that you've had and all the success that's coming your way because of this. I think this is going to be a game changer. Um, so again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 340. And at the end of the conversation here, I'm going to have James ask you all a question to leave an answer on the on the blog post uh, podcast episode so that um you know we'll get we'll we'll give away like three copies of the book to random commenters within a week after the episode goes live so um we'll make that happen at the end so stick around for that but to finish off james let's chat about the fourth and final law here and you do go a little bit deeper into some other things in the book as well but the fourth law what is it and how is it going to help us 
Sure. So the fourth law is make it satisfying. And uh, this comes back to that cardinal rule of behavior change we mentioned earlier, this idea that the it's really about the ending of a habit. What follows immediately after you do a habit? It should be satisfying. You should feel successful. Uh, it should be enjoyable in some way. And if it is enjoyable, then it's like a signal to your brain to repeat it again in the future. And so there are a variety of ways you can do this. Uh, one of the ways that I lay out in the book is called habit tracking, which is Effectively, just, you know, the most simple way is uh, to get a calendar and each time you do a habit, you put an X on that day, for example. And doing this, uh, doing this does three things. So the first thing that it does is it makes the habit more obvious because if you have the calendar sitting out, it's like a visual cue of, oh, I've done this three days in a row now. I should, you know, sit down and do it again. The second thing is there's sort of like an additive effect to motivation. Uh, so by seeing that streak build up, you get motivated to do it again. You don't want to lose your progress that you've made so far. Uh, so in that way, it makes a habit more attractive. And then the third and final thing, and perhaps the most important one, is it adds a little bit of immediate satisfaction to any habit. Um, you know, for me, I track all of my workouts. So mm -hmm. when I get done at the gym, it, it feels good to be able to check another day off, to look at the sets that I did and feel like uh, I accomplished something. Even if I have a bad day at work and I don't really feel like I got anything done from a, an intellectual standpoint, I can still at least have had a good physical day and, and got a good workout in. So there's something immediately satisfying about tracking your habits. And uh, for that reason, it can be one of the ways to add a little bit of enjoyment to, to any behavior. And then like after all this, you know, we do the work, we, you know, change our environment to help us out and, and, and we implement and, you know, a number of days go by, we're going, we're feeling good. And then, you know, for me, I know that sometimes it just takes a little bit, kind of small vacation or some sort of thing that happens in our lives to kind of just throw everything off. And it just seems so hard to get back to where mm -hmm. we were. I mean, it's, it, it, it's almost deflating to have just a few days when you've been so good with something like going to a gym every single day. And then all of a sudden, you know, vacation happens and maybe you splurge or maybe there was some reason, maybe you hurt your, you know, Achilles or something and you needed a week off. And then it's just so hard to get back into it. Do you have any tips or tricks for us to, once we establish this habit and it does become somewhat automated to when we get derailed to come back to it? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is it's so easy to do this to ourselves. Uh, like as soon as stuff starts going well, you're like, yeah, I've written four blog posts in a row. You know, I have like one in the hopper. I'm ahead of schedule. I feel good. I, yeah. yeah. I'll take a day off. Um, it becomes very easy to rationalize that. And, uh, anyway, the point here is that as I, as I investigate how habits work, it's, it's not even just that like, Oh, some people slip up. Everybody does like even top performers, elite pick whoever you want. Um, everybody, every habit streak is going to come to an end at some point. And at that point, the little mantra I like to keep in mind is never miss twice. So I can't predict, uh, you know, how well I'm going to do every single time. And I know that sometimes life is going to get in the way and emergencies are going to pop up and, you know, maybe I'm trying to stick to a diet, but then my friends want to go out to happy hour and I find that I like binge ate with them or had a pizza or something. That's fine. I don't need to get wrapped up in the mistake that just happened or in the fact that I just did something that wasn't exactly uh, what I wanted to do to follow this program. Let me just pour all of my energy into making sure that the next meal is a healthy one. Or, you know, for the first three years that I wrote at jamesclear.com, I wrote a new article every Monday and Thursday. And if I miss on a Thursday, well, then my, my all of my energy should be poured into getting back on track on Monday. It's less about... Uh, 
it's less about worrying about the fact that you just lost a streak or broke a streak and more about trying to build the next one as soon as possible. It's pretty much, it's pretty much never the first mistake that ruins you. It's almost always the spiral of repeated mistakes that follows. Mm -hmm. And if you can avoid that spiral and get back on track quickly, then uh, you find that over the long run, as you stretch the time scale out, it ends up looking really good. Uh, you know, so I have, you know, I have weeks when I have to go speak or work with a company or um, go on vacation or whatever. And it's hard to get my training, my workouts in those weeks, but I'm more focused on like, can I get 40 or 42 weeks of workouts in over the course of the year? Um, and all of that comes back to getting back on track as quickly as possible and never missing twice. Uh, once I get back home. Love it, man. Dude, this is huge. Thank you so much for this advice and, and sharing with us the wealth of knowledge you have about building successful habits, atomic habits, and little changes that can add up over time so that we can get remarkable results, like you say. So um, first of all, where can people go check out the book and, and get it right now if they wanted to? Sure. So just go to atomichabits.com and uh, you'll see everything there. We've got some uh, additional resources and bonuses and uh, a couple chapters that were cut from the uh, the final version of the book that you can also download. So um, yeah, atomichabits.com is the best place to go. Super cool. And what I want to do is give away five uh, copies. I don't know if you'd actually be, I can edit this out if you don't want to, but um, would you be willing no, to like sure. sign five copies and send them to me so I can send them to five random commenters? 100%. I'm all, Sweet. I'm all in. Dude, so. thank you for that. So I'm, uh, I'm going to get five signed copies of Atomic Habits. I'll pay for them because I want to. And we will, <laughs> we will give them to five random commenters who answer this question that James is going to come up with right now that you can simply answer by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 340. So again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 340. You'll have a week to comment. Again, totally random. I just use a random number generator. And uh, then I select five winners. You'll get an email from me within a week or so or after a week. Um, and then I'll send them your way. I'll get your address and we'll make that happen. So James, what is the one question that a person could simply answer in the comment section at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 340? All right. So the question is, what are the, what is the first two minutes of the habit that you want to build? Love it. So tell us what the habit is that you want to build and what those first two minutes might be. It's totally okay if it matches somebody else's. You can even get ideas from other people who have commented as well. And again, you have a week after this to comment. Now, if you are listening to this far in the future, which is totally cool too, um, feel free to participate. I just won't be able to, to reward you with the book, but you can see everybody else's comments there. So one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 340. James, thank you for that. I appreciate you, man. Good luck with everything. And I'm looking forward to seeing the result of the book and um, just how many lives it's going to change. I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pat, man. I really uh, appreciate the support and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to chat today. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode with James Clear. Again, you can find him at jamesclear.com or you can check out atomichabits.com and get access to the book however you'd like to read the book, which is really cool. So James, congratulations to you, man. Thank you for sending me an early copy. And remember, answer the question that James asked you at the end to potentially win a signed copy of Atomic Habits. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 340 and answer the question, what is one habit that you want to create and how are you going to do that with a two-minute breakdown like we were talking about in the show? So how are you going to break that down into a two-minute thing that you can just get going with? And I've already started to implement this since interviewing James and it does absolutely work, especially with the guitar playing stuff that was, you know, been wanting to do for a while. Now that both kids are in school, I've been wanting to create a habit of, you know, 
picking that thing up every day. And I'm thankful that uh, I'm doing that now. And I'm getting better. I'm getting better. My goal is to play Johnny Be Good uh, from Back to the Future on my uh, on my guitar, my Gibson. So we'll see what happens. But I'm on my way. And thank you, James, for, for helping to make that happen. So let us know what you thought about the show. And obviously answer that question that James proposed to you at the end there. Again, one more time for the show notes and to enter into that random uh, giveaway. SmartPassiveIncome.com slash 340. Make sure you subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Thank you so much, and I'll see you in the next episode. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI, and today I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John, who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure, and it always finds a bright side. I really love it, and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.